When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, good morning, New Zealand, uh, wherever you are. Ian Smith here between 9 and 12 this morning as we march towards midday when Staffy takes over for the afternoon. And uh, we're talking cricket this morning. We have to, don't we? Uh, a loss to Pakistan uh, during the night, and therefore we're under severe pressure in that department. Kyle Mills, uh, Millsy will be up with us very shortly. Tom Parsons, who is uh, now the captain of Hawke's Bay, taking over from Ash Dixon. They've put the shield in the ca- uh, cabinet. Uh, what now for the rest of the season? What about Tom Parsons? What about uh, his future in rugby? Greg Murphy, of course, in his regular Wednesday slot, just after the 10 o'clock news to catch up with everything going on in motor racing. Jim Kayes and Nicky Styrus on the panel this morning. That'll be feisty. Uh, Louis Herman Watt, Pip Morris before 11 o'clock. Uh, and then Finn Allen, up-and-coming star in New Zealand cricket as well, uh, after 11 o'clock. And our sports no-joke no segment today, Joe Bell. Looking forward to meeting Joe. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Pretty cool, very determined and very thorough. Pakistan earlier this morning, barring catastrophe or any unsuspecting act, they are through to the playoffs after just two games in the T20 World Cup. They outwardly lined up India, and they openly lined up us, and they took us both out with precision. They are a top side with a solid purpose and a will. And while our New Zealand squad never got to actually play within the confines of Pakistan itself, they would have felt it in Sharjah. Barring a sprinkle, the support unit was unanimous and vociferous. The black cap regrouping process will need to be swift. The selection process seemed a little bit odd. The balance a little bit off. India in a similar predicament uh, loom in a few days. It's cutthroat and you just have to love it. A full stadium partying their heads off, hardly a mask in sight, oblivious to the perils of living and breathing outside the stadium walls. Result aside, it was a beautiful thing. Is there a non-cricketing lesson to be learnt from this? The very things in this country we are threatened to avoid, and countries that have suffered far, far more from us, they seem to be a tonic. And whilst cover drives, slog sweeps, switch hits, sprawling saves, wickets tumbling and classic catches, are the order of the day in that faraway world we constantly awake to jab, jab, jab. Uh, my dad and his cronies used to indulge in the six o'clock swill way back. We these days are lectured in the one o'clock spill. If you're overseas, don't come home. If you're home, don't go out. 
Be honest, I don't even know where I'm going with this. We lost the game of cricket, but for three glorious hours, I was taken back to an almost forgotten world of fun, entertainment and flavour. And then I turned off the TV. And here I am, grumpy. I don't even bear the handcuffs of those living up north. At times, we seem like a pimple on the world's bum. It's nearly time, surely, for us to be squeezed. Okay, let's uh, get straight into this uh, analysis of this performance overnight. Of course, Pakistan knocking over New Zealand. In the end, seemed quite comfortable, really. Uh, though, so they've lost their opening match by five wickets. Uh, a man who knows conditions well in the UAE's lived half his life there lately. Uh, great limiters over, a limited overs bowler for New Zealand as black cap and current Kolkata Knight Riders bowling coach Kyle Mills. Good morning to you, Millsy. Yes, good morning, Smithy. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, a little bit down. I, I had high expectations, but uh, I think quite clearly outplayed. There was, there was some interesting things for me. Okay, no Lockie Ferguson, so they had to mix and mingle a bit. I'm pretty sure Lockie Ferguson would have played because you, you guys at uh, Kolkata have got, got him bowling really well, so that's a shame. But then the balance didn't seem quite right to me with Seifert coming in at number seven. I, I, I just didn't get that. Yeah, look... It's... I guess I had the same feeling as you, one of one of disappointment. But I think um, you know they, they did put up a good showing the old the old Kiwi boys. And one of the first things that stood out to me was Daryl Mitchell opening the batting because I think we've come used to Tim Seifert opening that batting, playing that role um, over the last eighteen months. So um, almost a, a wasted man in many respects, having to keep keep the glass and bat down around number eight. I think it was in the batting order. Um, wasn't something that I was, I was expecting in, in the balance of the group. It's certainly a big loss losing Lockie because he's just that point of difference. Um, so I guess Adam Mill will come into it be a light for light replacement. But uh, look, he was, he was a big loss and the balance just didn't seem quite right to me. And um, it's just a shame to go down. And look, 135, they're probably short, only about 15, probably because it's a low scoring venue now, Sharjah, not what it used to be. Um, so it's a bit disappointing on, on a couple of fronts. Yeah, it is. Uh, previous games on that ground in this tournament so far, there have been a, a couple of 170s and a 190. I'm not sure what you can read into that because uh, that was uh, against the, the Scottish bowling attack. But however, uh, 134, I don't think was ever going to be enough. And, and it should have been more because 90 for four uh, in the last 6.9 overs, according to me, we lost uh, four for 44. So that's going at uh, just under uh, six and over. That, that's not good enough, mate, honestly, to be fair. Yeah, no. No, you're quite right. And you, what we learned in the IPL in the last, over the last couple of months that the start is just so crucial. Um, you need to make, make make the most of the new ball, the hard ball. And Sharjah is very much it's a it's a six hitting ground, and you have to be prepared to take the risk at the top and to trying to achieve those six. I think we hit three in our innings. I think they hit twice as many as us um, in the six department. So uh, I think the two openers. Soaked up about 20 balls each, and we scored 40, 40 balls, and we scored 45 runs. Um, we're probably not doing enough at the top to sort of have that launch pad for the guys to to, to, to finish off towards the end. And obviously, we lost those wickets towards the end, and the innings the innings fell away. But it's almost been prepared. I, I know I'm speaking from the IPL. I don't want to harp on about that too much, but it, it, it's a risk game, T20 cricket. You need to be prepared to take the risk and take the game on at the start to give you that that launch pad to, to go at the end. 
the fact that Jimmy Neesham came up to number four was also of interest to me. Was that, do you think that was a planned move or was that an adjustment because of the start that you just highlighted? I think it's an adjustment. I saw the same thing, Smithy. One run off two balls, I think he got. Uh, I think they probably elevated him to try and uh, to, to launch the innings. And he obviously didn't last very long. I mean, you're kind of playing playing catch-up from there. Um, and then the guys, you know, let's not forget, Pakistan, are, they're, they're a very good side. And to use horsing parlance, Smithy, they've got the bit between the teeth. You know, they, they were hurt a few months back from... Um, the pull-up from New Zealand, and, and they absolutely wiped India off the park only a few days back. So it's, they are a very good team, and in those conditions, they, they've probably got a leak up on us as well. Uh, so that's where it's really important when the ball is hard and you, we need to make most of those conditions that suit our style of cricketers at the top of the innings. OK, so, um, and of course, bowlers can be under pressure. Uh, Santner and Sal, the two of our most experienced white ball bowlers, uh, both copped it in the 16th and 17 overs, uh, 17th overs, but I, I think they were always under threat of doing that because uh, I, I kind of felt with a player like Shob Malik at the crease uh, and, and Asif Ali, who finished big after getting knocked on the Swede, I think Pakistan were always quite comfortable in that. They play so much of that cricket. That kind of asking rate doesn't seem to be a huge issue on a small ground. Yeah, well, they played there a lot as well. Not only did they play there a lot as an international side, but the, the Pakistan Super League, and I was back in Pakistan uh, last year, but the preceding six years beforehand, the, the, all their cricket's been at Sharjah and Dubai, so they are very, very experienced at playing in those conditions, and the players you've just highlighted there as well, you know, they've been around the track a few times as well. So they're, they're very experienced cricketers. They, they assess situations uh, really well. Um, and look, these big overs can happen. Um, but that's where I think the, the point of difference can be as a bowling unit. Because I think every individual bowler does, does have a plan A. A, a batter walks to the crease, you have your plan A to try and get the better out, first and foremost. And normally most international bowlers, of the likes of Sally and Sam, can do their job pretty well. But it's when they come under pressure, and plan B really needs to come into fold pretty quickly. Um, Bowlers seem to focus on plan A a lot, but I actually reckon there's a, there's a scope within the game to actually really focus on your plan B because if you can get your plan B right when plan A doesn't work, it will eliminate the big over. And so the big overs is what can create the big totals for the opposition. So I think that's a potentially an area that we can try and move, you know, adapt pretty quickly against this Indian side who are they're, they're a hot team, even though they got a touch-up a few days back, but they're a hot team to eliminate these big overs against these experienced cricketers. Okay, let's look at what New Zealand uh, will probably have to do here. Uh, now, Ferguson would have played, which means like for like, uh, I've got a feeling that they just have to bring uh, the extra price of Adam Milne in, and that might be at the expense of, of Tim Seifert, which means Conway, who took one of the great catches in the outfield, I must add, um, I, I think must take the gloves. I, think, I don't think there's too much of a personnel change coming here apart from that one. Yeah, I think... Milne's got to come in because he bowled very well for Mumbai and he's had a great summer up in the UK for his team up there. So he'll come in. I would like the extra bowler. And we did have other bowlers out there. Darren Mitchell can bowl and then there's Neeson there as well. But just those out-and-out bowlers, I think you need five of them because it's a pressure game cricket. So you sort of need, you need to go to the well if I'm, um, a fair bit in the game of cricket. So uh, bringing him in to replace Seifert is, is a fair shout also, I like looking at that. If you just look at this purely, look at that scorecard. Seifert was just in no man's land, really, wasn't he? But he's so far down the mm. order, he couldn't really contribute to the game. So you're quite right. Milne could come into Seifert, but then the, the the gloves have to 
go the way of Conway. Um, I'm not too sure of, of his capability, you know, more than me, Smithy, but um, mm. I'm sure he'll do a reasonable job. Or it's got to be someone like um, Daryl Mitchell or, or Jimmy Neesham. And then Cypher can then go back to the top of the innings maybe to replace Mitchell. But he actually did a reasonable job at, at the top, so it'll be relatively harsh to, to make way um, for Animal to come into him. Well, one thing is for sure, um, I, I think we need, one of the reasons I think we need Adam Milner there is because we've got to strike early. Uh, and, and that means, uh, you know, if you don't get an early wickets against India, you're going to be chasing plenty, or they will chase down what you've got. It's as simple as that. If you don't get Rohit Sharma, if you don't get Rahul, if you don't get Kohli and within the first four or five overs, um, you're, you're really chasing it. So we have to strike. It's a similar, We saw that in the World Cup in, in Manchester. Get, them, get two or three early, and they back game. Yeah, you, you have to have the mindset of taking wickets, especially when the, the new batter comes to the crease. The first five or six balls are really crucial because that's your opportunity to, to take the wicket when, when the batter's fresh. I think the game against India, it's not at Sharjah, it's either at Dubai or Abu Dhabi, so it's going to be a better surface for our well, our bowlers to, to bowl on, more accustomed to a, a, you know, a quicker wicket and the ball can carry through a little bit more. I like the combination of Southie and, and, and Bolt being the experienced um, you know, old war horses and uh, left hand, right hand, they both swing at and plus Adam Mill. That, that fast bowling combination actually sits quite quite nicely, I feel. And then obviously hopefully Isodi and Mitchell Sandler can, can do their thing as well. But certainly without question, the mindset to take wickets early uh, but if that's not working, what's the plan B to eliminate the overs of 15 plus? If we eradicate those, um, and let's not forget, India are going to be under a lot of pressure as well. They've got a, a mm. big a big hiding against uh, Pakistan just a few days back, and uh, they'll be feeling the, pre- the pressure more than us leading into now. is a fascinating competition, but uh, very early on, a must-win game for us for both teams. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I think they're, they're probably under more pressure than us, but there is expectation around this. Uh, New Zealand side because of the fact that uh, we've done well in other competition it's, in the, it's about our time to excel in this one too. Um, getting back to more important business, uh, Millsy um, what about a Melbourne Cup winner? Have you got anything lined up? Man, it's only uh, what is a week, yes, uh, week yesterday goodness me. Yeah, Christmas is just around the corner Smithy um, it's, a, <laughs> it's a big week isn't it? Saturday's a great day as well but um, mm. that incentivise he was something special last week wasn't he in, in the Caulfield Cup I've never seen a the Caulfield Cup winner just like that before. Uh, there's a horse um, I've been following over in the UK called Spanish Mission. Uh, and these UK stars and the Irish stars are just, uh, well, we saw it at the Cox Plate. They just had the edge on um, the, the stock down in this part of the world. And he was running a couple of seconds to the, the best day in the world called Stradivarius up in the UK. And so I've always had an eye on him uh, to do his thing. Um, but look, that incentivised was, was something special. And there's just uh, there's a hell of a story there around that horse, isn't it? With Peter Moody making his comeback and the horse from the bush, so to speak, up in Toowoomba. And uh, and mm. that's uh, a fairy tale stuff. Melzy, as always, great to talk to you, mate, um, both uh, cricket and and uh, and racing. Uh, yeah, I, like you, uh, it, it's not a huge fix, but it's got to be a quick one uh, from a Black Caps point of view. So all eyes, I think, uh, in about three days' time. Otherwise, we could be uh, out of it before it's even started. Milsey, thank you very much. Good man. Thanks, Smithy. Cheers, mate. Yeah, yeah cheers. Kyle Milsey, a lot of experience bowling in those conditions uh, and, uh, of course, a very successful bowling coach these days as well. Uh, so he knows what he, exactly what he's talking about in that regard. And it's about the bowling attack for me. It really is. Uh, they say it's a game for sixes and fours, and it is as a spectacle. But the side that bowls the, first, bowls the best 
uh, generally comes up trumps over a period of time um, because they stop those sixes and fours. It's as, it's as damn simple as that. You can put all the theory into the game that you like, uh, but th- that's the simple aspect of it. Uh, look, uh, temper. Time for you to be uh, successful and get a temper product off us. Temper pillow worth 299 bucks. Uh, they're beautiful. Just ask Baz. Uh, and the temper queen package, including the temper queen mattress, temper queen adjustable base, and the two temper pillows. That's worth ten thousand dollars. That's very comfortable too. Again, just ask Baz. Uh, they're very, very good. Uh, so uh, we'd like you to be the beneficiary of uh, at least the pillow and maybe, maybe that ten thousand dollar bumper prize as well. So. Get on the phone. What'd you make of uh, that Black Caps performance? Would you make any changes going into the next game? Uh, what did you think about Pakistan? They said a long time out that uh, after we left their shores without bowling a ball on that tour, we were in their sights. They lined us up and they got us big time and they got India as well because that is a lifelong rivalry. So Pakistan, they look a big danger in the tournament. Uh, they're already through for all intensive purposes. So uh, what do we have to do? Where do we have to get better? Um, and what, in, in your mind, went wrong last night? Plenty to talk about on the cricketing subject this morning. It's 9.19 here on SENZ. 9.24 here on SENZ. Neville's called in from Dunedin. Good morning to you, Neville. Good morning, Ian. Um, you're frustrated, obviously, and I guess a lot of New Zealand fans are. <laughs> I, I just can't understand the batting order. It's just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, I don't think Jim Neesham's a number four. Um, It was almost sacrificing him. Um, And I can't understand why Conway isn't opening, which is what he was doing so well. Um, Yeah, I don't know what you think, but um, the banning order just didn't make any sense at all. Well, it surprised me. There's a couple of things that surprised me about it, Neville. Um, I, I do not believe when they put the batting order up on the wall first thing uh, that Jimmy Neesham was uh, there to go out at number four. I really don't understand that that was the theory. Sometimes you float batsmen. Uh, when particular bowlers come into the attack, you float batsmen so they can target those bowlers. They're better equipped to do it. Um, but you rely for that to happen. You rely on, of course, someone getting out so that batsman can actually go to the wicket. Uh, so there's always that experiment up your sleeve. Sometimes also when you feel you're under pressure to get some momentum into the innings, you pick out a pinch hitter who's likely to try and hit three or four sixes and get your, your innings underway. I think that's what the case was with uh, Jimmy Neesham. And in a normal course of events, I do not believe that uh, he would have batted number four. Uh, the Seifert thing is an interesting one for me coming in at seven. To me, that's just a wasted spot. Uh, we, we have Conway, and I agree with you, Conway was doing so well. Your best players should be able to face the most balls. That's why your Williamsons and those guys bat at the top of the order and, and your Coleys, etc. And your, your Barbara Hassans. They're the best players. They face the most balls because they're better equipped to do the damage. So I, I totally uh, agree with you there. And I, I wouldn't be thinking that uh, this time around, when they had to make an adjustment for Ferguson, they should perhaps have gone for Chapman, who's a, a, a batsman and all-rounder, and he was brilliant in the field as we saw last night. So that's what they'll be thinking about, Neville. Um, and they've got to yeah. do it real quick because India won't be easy. Oh, no one's going to be easy by the look of it. Um, it's pretty strong. A lot of teams there. Um, and, of course, um, uh, yeah, obviously the top three have to be Conway, Gutto, Williamson, and then you um, bring in um, Seifert and... Um, 
Well, I'm just sad Ross Taylor's not there because he, he's actually the biggest six-hitter in the World T20 over the years. Mm. <laughs> sort of makes yeah, wonder, well, doesn't it? They made a call on Ross uh, a couple of years ago, to be honest, Neville. So, uh, you know, yeah, he, he was know. never... Yeah. Uh, Never going to be a factor in this tournament, and that is a bit of a shame because you kind of feel Neville, you're right, uh, that he, coming in at that situation, uh, he might have finished with a bit more of a flurry. I repeat, we were 44 for, uh, we got 44 for four off the last 6.9, so basically seven overs. So we don't only just got to run a ball in the last seven overs. Uh, that's not good enough. Uh, you know, you've got to get up around 160, I believe. I don't think it was that bad a pitch. I didn't see it spinning square. I didn't see it stopping. I didn't see it popping left, right, and centre. Uh, and you could see that when Pakistan went on the charge, they weren't in, under any threat at all of coming down the wicket and hitting straight. Uh, that was the area to go. So uh, it, was, it was a better performance by Pakistan. They completely outplayed us, and we have to learn a lot very quickly about that. But I do believe, as Neville said, um, that he could not believe the, uh, the makeup of the team, even with that late change. It was a wee bit odd. Uh, it's already, uh, one text has come in, it already do or die a match for both India and the Black Caps, but I won't write off Af- Afghanistan. I won't either. Um, you know, uh, and New Zealand play Af- Afghanistan last in, in this competition, and they're very, very good. And they've got one or two spinners that can bowl at any stage in the innings who can bamboozle you, and they're just kids, just young kids learning their art. So I, I agree with you, but at that point, uh, that match might not matter. Uh, it's as simple as that. Uh, another uh, one from uh, Brent from Brisbane, ex-Christchurch. G'day, Brent. Good morning to you. Uh, hi, Smithy. Just had to watch the replay of the Rugby World Cup uh, nine, uh, 2011 final. Love Richie's reply to you after the match when you said, how do you feel? He, he replied, I'm a bit shagged. Um, and and uh, that was basically the New Zealand way, wasn't it? Was it Peter Jones said, I'm absolutely buggered at one point. Uh, way, way, way back. It was one of the out, most outlandish quotes in sporting history at the time. Who could ever say that? A great interview and relief from uh, Coach Sir Ted. Was lucky enough to have a chat at the British Low Cup function in Brisbane with Coach Henry during a lunch break. Asked for a pick and he said, sit down and have a chat. Very down to earth. Okay, so that's, uh, that's excellent. So, uh, John, yeah, that's the story of the morning so far, really. Uh, we, were, we were humbled. Uh, so we'd like uh, your calls on, on that or your text, double eight double three. Join Neville uh, and the other people coming in. What would you do with this team? What would you do with the batting order? 9.29, it's coming up to news with Trudy here uh, on SENZ. And after the break, we'll be talking to Tom Parsons, now the captain of the Hawke's Bay rugby team. It's time to move away from... The cricket subject uh, for a little while anyway, and uh, let's talk some rugby. The Ranfurly Shield is locked away safe in Hawke's Bay for another summer. And now the big question is, can the Magpies go on to claim their first ever NPC title? Uh, Joining us now from the Bay is uh, Captain Tom Parsons. Good morning to you, Tom. Thanks for dialing into the show. That's right, Smitty. Good to be here. Yeah, okay, so uh, tell us about the feeling. Uh, you locked it away, locked the shield away, which is, I guess, one of the major goals for the season. Been a hell of a defence uh, defense this time around, hell of a tenure, because uh, you've been playing the big boys this year. There's been no uh, no hiding. Nah, definitely there has been no hiding at all. They've come off the back of a hard five weeks, really, playing all the big boys there. And, yeah, really proud of, proud of the team and the effort to everyone to um, get the shield locked away for another summer. 
So uh, a lot of sides perhaps would have uh, taken the foot off the brake a wee bit in terms of uh, team selection. They might have rested uh, and rotated some players. That seems to be the modern way. But uh, it looks to me, from the outside anyway, you've just gone with the, basically your top combination week after week after week. Uh, is that the case? Um, yeah, I, yeah. the last five-week campaign has been a big effort for, for the boys that have had the starting spots there. And, um, yeah, we've had a constant run of big games and there's always been the best that have played. Um, some boys probably have um, almost run out of gas a little bit, so you will see in the next couple of weeks a, a, little, a few changes there and we will rotate over the next couple of weeks to try and freshen a few guys up for the semis and give other guys opportunities to push for spots there. But, yeah, we have played our top team, um, but that's just been the boys are... It's been who's ready to go and wanted to play in all those games. Okay, so you, tell us about the feeling uh, of uh, the side now. I mean, job one done, the, the shield. Uh, is there the pressure gone off a wee bit there, or are you ramping it up with the next goal in mind? Um, no, nah, definitely we want to ramp it up with the next goal there. Um, the boys are boys are keen to keen to go for the top, so. Um, yeah, the next couple of weeks we're, we've got one or two this weekend and it's another grudge match for Hawke's Bay. So we're, um, we're keen to good performance out there and um, keep keep the train rolling, I suppose, to, to try and peak at semis and finals time if we can, um, yeah, try and do the job there. Talking to Tom Parsons this morning, uh, it's 9.35 here on SENZ. Uh, Tom... Uh, some of the biggest shoes uh, in terms of leadership uh, in New Zealand rugby you've had to fill with uh, Ash moving away and uh, chasing his uh, rugby dream a little bit more overseas. Uh, tell us uh, how you feel about uh, jumping into those shoes and uh, how easy it's been. Um, yeah, obviously massive shoes to fill. Ash has been a, um, a great leader of New Zealand rugby, not just in Hawke's Bay, but with the Māori All Blacks and the Hollanders as well. Um, and he brings so much experience to our team. In the last couple of years, he's been, um, yeah, he's been inspirational in what he's done to help develop us. But um, for me, it's just been like my role hasn't changed too much to what it was in the team anyway, with running the lineouts and helping Ash out with a bit of the leadership anyway. So um, in terms of that, I'm just lucky that there's some other boys there to help me out um, along the way, especially the likes of. Um, Lincoln really stepping up this year as, as the main game driver of the team. So a lot of the calls out there come through him and me. So And then when Ash was there, obviously he had his experience to um, to say whether it was the right one or not. Well, Jacob Devery's come into the number two jersey as well and uh, the line-out doesn't appear to have suffered. Uh, and and the, his general play has been uh, exceptional. Looks like a, a young kid going places. Oh, definitely. Jakey's um, got a big future ahead of him, I think. He's um, a young boy that's keen to in Hawke's Bay. He's a Hawke's Bay lad and really wanted to play for the Bay, but now he's got his opportunity taking it with both hands. All right, let's uh, look at uh, the way that you guys play your rugby because it's, uh, it's hugely entertaining when it comes off. Every now and then you have 30 or 40 minutes where, like it did against uh, Waikato at the weekend, it doesn't quite stick, the passes don't stick. Uh, but tell us how you train for that and how much confidence you've got in each other because it seems 
when you're, when you're playing that kind of rugby, you have absolutely no doubt there'll be someone on your shoulder when you offload. So is that something you train for or something you develop, or is it just natural? Um, well, yeah, we don't, I don't think we train any different probably to anyone else in that sense that you're always there looking for an offload um, in your role. Um, our structure's not a hell of a lot different there either, but I think the boys are just, some of the combinations there have really clicked this year and um, a lot of those boys I think um, if you're just playing freely and um, when it when it's on they, they pull trigger on it. So how how much now, um, you know, you, you, you basically got to the point where you've guaranteed yourself a home playoff, uh, what, what about this focus for a premiership title? It's an odd kind of year without the Auckland sides, but what what would that mean uh, to Hawke's Bay on top? I mean, it's like achieving the double in a lot of sports, isn't it, to hold the shield and, and win that. So to be the first team to do that, uh, Mark Ozich must be ramping that home. Um, yeah, it's definitely a goal there. Suddenly, um, obviously, getting a home semi was, was a massive goal to start with um, and the shield locked away. So now, um, just over these next two weeks, I think we will, um, yeah, definitely put the focus on that but we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves obviously we've still got two games to go um, before we get to that stage and I think it's just managing our players and managing our game to be able to make sure that it's at the top of its game by the time we come to semis and finals time to give us a good shot at that Manawatu this weekend um, always been history there just uh, uh, just over or just through the gorge basically separating the, the two uh, the two sides, um, and of course that, that history with the Vikings as well. So uh, I'm not sure that this will be any easier than anything else. No, I don't think, no, it won't be. And I've, yeah, I've played for Manawatu before as well, and I know that um, they'll be down to this game. It's always a big grudge match. Um, and they're playing some good footy at the moment too, with um, yeah the likes of Brett Cameron and stuff driving them around quite nicely. So, yeah. They will be no easy task either, and we're not treating them as that either. We're, we're working um, pretty hard this week to make sure that we can go out and put a performance that we have been putting out the last um, five weeks. These are early uh, early days to even, I suppose, have a conjecture about this, Tom, but uh, the squad, I mean, you've lost a couple of players to Japan as such, but uh, looking forward at this stage, crystal ball gazing, are the squad looking like they're going to be pretty much holding together for... Um, you know what's coming up next year. It's not actually that far away. No, I think um, yeah. At this stage, the goal is to try and um, keep even. You know, obviously there might be another couple that move on to other things just as a time of their life. But um, at this stage, I'm pretty sure most of the crew are sticking around. Um, I don't actually know the finer details of that, me personally. But um, yeah, it's looking like the core group of those main young fellas, which I think are going to be the backbone of that Hawks Bay side going forward. Um, I think, yeah, most of them are sticking around anyway. And what about Tom Parsons? A lot of people have said, why the hell can't Tom Parsons get a super contract? What is the news on Tom Parsons' uh, career going forward in the next maybe six to 12 months? <laughs> um, yeah, I've been undecided on that. Um, I've yeah, I love what I'm doing with Hawke's Bay. Um, and, yeah, Grace and I, my wife, have got a little farm down in Central Hawke's Bay now, so we're pretty happy um, 
doing that and but if yeah, the opportunity ever came up I'd definitely look at it but at the moment um, yeah looking like I'll definitely stick around for another couple of years or so and just see, see how we get on Okay Tom uh, that's nice to hear from a Hawks Bay point of view uh, I for one think uh, the, the phone should be ringing for you. it will happen there's a, a lot of uh, things uh, will happen and a lot of injuries and training mishaps and all sorts of things before the season starts the super season I'm talking about Thanks for talking to us, mate. Um, um, enjoy uh, the rest of your week in preparation for Manawatu, and uh, I know you'll have special feelings playing in that one. All the best for it. Thank you. Nah, cheers for that, Smitty. Tom Parsons there, uh, good, down-to-earth, honest, Kiwi lock. Love him. Uh, he's done really well for Hawks Bay and taking over uh, from Ash Dixon. So uh, at 9.42 here on SENZ, uh, keep those texts coming in on the cricket on uh, any subject you like, really, but... Really would like to hear uh, what you think about what went wrong last night, or did it go wrong, or were we just outplayed by Pakistan, and we should move on. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll take some of those texts, and, and also uh, just before 10 o'clock, news of a multi. Brian, Brian might have come up with the oracle. And Smith on SENZ. Texts have come in, what a crazy batting order. I feel as though this is Gary Stead's light bulb ideas, which always seem abs- absurd. Uh, maybe just leave it all up to Willie lineup being uh, Williamson, um, Gup, Seifert, Willie, which is uh, Williamson, Conway, Phillips, Mitchell, Niche, then all the bowlers. Maybe float Niche or Mitchell, depending on uh, the wind or something along those lines. But pretty basic stuff, I would have thought. That's Jimmy from Puhoi. Uh, morning, uh, Ian. I th- uh, this is the rugby one. Thought the game, the Ranfurly Shield, was developing into a real cracker on the weekend, but the referee just totally wrecked it with second half penalty onslaught against. Waikato completely changed all the momentum and ended up turning it off, unfortunately. Cheers, Brian. Uh, sorry, feel that way, Brian. Yeah, um, maybe that was the case. We didn't um, study performance of the referee, Nick Bryant, I think it was, uh, that closely. I don't, I'm not sure that there were too many decisions. There was a couple of uh, nasty acts by Hawks Bay towards the end, which I, I thought were uh, a bit needless, but however... Um, they look like they've largely gone unpunished. Um, here's an interesting one. Hey, Smithy, was Adam Milne allowed to play against Pakistan, or did we? Uh, did he have to wait until the next game? Seems crazy would, we would play on in the sub- subcontinent without a guy who can bowl over 140k when every other major team does. It seems to be a really strange feature of the New Zealand selectors that no matter what the format, we always struggled with the idea of playing a pace bowler. It's an interesting theory. Uh, thank you very much for that text. Uh, here's a release that has just come through to uh, to us from the ICC. The Event Technical Committee of the ICC Men's T20 World Cup has approved Adam Milne as a replacement for Lockie Ferguson in the New Zealand squad. Uh, Milne, who has played 41 day internationals and 23 T20s, was named as a replacement after Ferguson was ruled out due to a calf injury. Milne was a reserve as per the allowance for teams to travel with expert players in view of the pandemic requirements. The replacement of a player requires the approval of the event technical committee before the replacement player can be officially added to the squad. Of interest, uh, the event technical committee comprises Chris Tetley, who's the head of events, Clive Hitchcock, who's the ICC Senior Cricket cricket Operations Manager, Rahul Dravid and Diraj Malhotra, who are representatives of the BCCI. Remember, of course, this tournament would have been played in India. Uh, uh, barring the pandemic. And, and interesting, from our point of view, also on the technical mi- committee, uh, Ian Bishop as an independent me- member, and Simon Dool, our very own Simon Dool, 
and you can bet your bottom dollar if they could have got and met and approved Adam Milne to play in that game last night, Dooley would have guaranteed it. There you go. That's uh, my take on that. So uh, thanks very much. Keep those uh, texts coming in. Uh, John, you got some uh, some rugby news for us? Yeah, just a release from the Blues this morning. Uh, Smithy, uh, good news for Blues fans. Of course, the champion Blues of Super Rugby Trans-Tasman. Uh, they've re-signed some pretty good players, Smithy. Uh, Stephen Perifeta, Josh Goodhue, Big Red, Tom Robinson, and Harry Plummer. So four youngsters re-signing with the Blues. And just talking to Tom Parsons before, Smithy, from Hawke's Bay, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up at Moana Pacifica like the rest of the Magpies seem to be doing, Smithy. And will you change your Super Rugby Alliance to Moana Pacifica, given that they're going to have the most Hawke's Bay players? No, I won't, John. I won't change my allegiance. I think the word is you're looking for, not my alliance, my allegiance. I, I won't change it completely. No, I'll, I'll show a lot of interest because of those players playing within the group. But no, I, I'm not just. I'm not a fair weather friend. I'll stay with my Hurricanes uh, on the basis that I have been there for a long, long time around that region. So. It's a bit of a silly question. Mate, they've never treated you well, the Hurricanes. I think all Hawks Bay supporters should join Moana Pacifica, and Moana Pacifica should play home games at McLean Park. They've got so many, what, Vicenia, McClutchy, I think a few loose forwards as well. There's about five or six who have already signed Smithy, and don't tell me the Hurricanes have treated Hawks Bay well over the years. They certainly haven't. I think it's time to uproot and plant your flag, Moana Pacifica, on your lawn in Havelock North, Smithy. John? That will not be happening. It's some of the stupidest stuff you've ever said in the three and a half months history of this show. Uh, it's 9.51 here on SENZ. We're going to take a short break until I, unless I really fly off the handle that, at that stupidity. And when we'll come back, we'll have news of a multi. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the whole Know when the fold up Smithy's multi Know when to walk away And know when to run Bet live on your favourite sports Download the TAB app today Well congratulations to uh, Brian Who used to be our panel operator But now he's our official multi-taker as well uh, Because he's one from one An absolutely outstanding result Well done to you uh, sir New Orleans Saints beating the Seattle Seahawks $1.45 Ogier, uh, Ali Asamo to beat Barankas in the tennis, beat him in straight sets. And this morning, uh, last I saw, in fact, that's a confirmed result, Arsenal beat Leeds 2-0. So, Brian, well done. You got home on $3.08, and because of that, you've sent me through your multi for today. So uh, let me bear with me, and I shall read it out on behalf of the people because uh, you've been 100% uh, strike rate. So today, folks, Brian has decided to go for the Houston Astros to beat the Atlanta Braves. That's game one of the World Series. Interesting choice, that. But the home advantage, Brian, I'm sure that's one of the reasons that uh, you, you brought that one in. Yeah, no, definitely. That was uh, what I was looking at when I was doing the um, sums last night. They just, just, it's too hard to go against them, eh? Yeah, I totally agree with them. And then the tennis one's an interesting one for me, though. Schwartzman, Schwartzman to beat uh, Fognini, I like that. Uh, pretty warm favourite, $1.31. So that, that's a good choice. Absolutely. Actually, I had a friend tear me up on that one. Um, uh, just, I think, just going to be too hard to get past him, man. He's, he's going to yeah, be too I good. I agree. Yeah, I think so. I think he's a, he's a real chance. Uh, how about your basketball double? I'm really interested in this. The Utah Jazz to beat the Denver Nuggets at a buck thirty, and the swinger for me. Why did you go for the Knicks to beat the Seventy Sixers? That I know the Seventy Sixers have had some turmoil in the camp with Ben Simmons floating around and not floating around. 
but a dollar seventy seven. So uh, that's the the most out. So why did you go for the Knicks? Uh, two reasons there. One being Ben Simmons being useless, and the other one being that it's just it's New York's time again. The, the Knicks are back. The Knicks are back. The Knicks okay. are back. So that's Brian. Thank you very much for that. That's Brian's multi. Uh, you got your three dollars and eight yesterday, and he's going to endeavour to get you five dollars and twelve this time around, and look to make it two for two. What an impressive start! The making an absolute chump out of me. Uh, look, after the break, we're going to go with Greg Murphy. Uh, of course, he's a supercars legend. He's host of Race Control with Stephen McIver here on SENZ at 7pm on Thursday nights. Murphy is very busy around uh, the place. He's also got a, a show uh, on Sky as well, Sky Speed. So, uh, Murphy, uh, i really like to find out a bit more about this Max Verstappen. Looks like he might be the next Formula One world champion. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Well, the supercars aren't far away from returning for the first time in three months. going to be very, very busy in Sydney there, and there's no one better to talk about it than the, the world of motorsport than Greg Murphy, who also hosts our race control show here on SENZ Thursday night. So, uh, Murph, uh, I guess you get a little bit itchy when you see uh, those uh, keys going on and those engines start revving because it's uh, very close now. Yes, Smithy, absolutely. I think... Uh I mean, if I'm excited, I can only imagine, um, you know, some of the diehard supercar fans, and there's uh, heaps of them around the place who be looking forward to it. I mean, it's, it, the problem being that it's been such a big gap, probably uh, a lot of people might have um, forgotten that the championship is still going to continue. So, you know, with um, four rounds back-to-back to back-to-back uh, happening at Sydney Motorsport Park starting this weekend and then a couple of weeks and then uh, the, the latest ever Bathurst 1000 on the 5th of December. Um, there's plenty of supercars action to have happen, and uh, yeah, there's going to be lots to talk about. Well, Murph, uh, you know, when we've been waiting and waiting and waiting, we sort of have, um, we've just been looking for the, the green light to get things underway, and we haven't focused that closely on perhaps individual performers. But who should we, who should we really be looking out for on this track, bearing in mind uh, four in a row, they're going to get used to it very quickly. Yeah, they're going to get used to it, but what I really like about it too is what we've seen over the last uh, couple of years, not just in supercars, but other categories around the world too, but you know, what happens when you, you go to a racetrack, you have your first weekend, and, and often you, know, you, you, you lock away the, what you've learnt, you put it in the, the data bank, and then you, you come back the following year. This time around, you know, you, you've got, you've got uh, four or five days to have a think about it, make some changes, and try some new stuff, and and what, what is really cool and what that's meant is that teams get the chance to have another crack straight away um, with what they've learned. And what we've seen is, is results change. You know, performances alter markedly between week on week. Um, and this time around, um, you get to do it four times. So, you know, I actually think it works really well because it, uh, it does, you know, move things up, mix up the, the order a little bit um, because the especially for the teams that maybe don't have the, the full resource, as much resources for the big teams, like the Triple Eights or the DJRs of the world with all the, the real super clever people and, and uh, teams that got everything. Um, the, the teams with the lesser resource, you know, they've still got smart people. They might not have uh, as many to be able to do all the work in such a quick time. Um, but they, so on the weekend, they, they tend to maybe be a little bit behind the eight ball if things aren't quite right. But, 
give them a week, they get to you know have a look and sort it out and and, and change the cars and apply it differently and, and tend to actually mix it up a bit. So, you know, that's that's something we've we you know I'm looking forward to watching. I'm sure a lot of the uh, the fans will as well. You know, seeing how different teams manage that and and uh, evolve over a uh, you know a decent period of time. Well, logically speaking, they get extra time, don't they? Because there's no travel involved between venues. Yep. Yeah, yeah, everyone's sitting around and, and the teams get to not have to travel and, and not have to focus on, on getting back to the workshop, unpacking, um, and then you know packing up again, all that kind of stuff. So it, it takes the edge off, albeit they are having to be very committed to being away for you know a decent period of time away from um, family and the likes. But uh, you know it does have its pros, certainly got cons, but it does have its pros. But... At the end of the day, you know, out the box um, this weekend after such a, a long break, you know, I really can't go past, you know, uh, Shane Van Gisbergen, uh, Cam Waters, Chaz Most, Jamie Wincup, you know, the, the guys that are at the top of the, the uh, sheets at the moment in, in the championship, you know, they, you know, they thrive on these kinds of things and they have a huge amount of confidence in their ability to, to turn it on and, and get going again. But, you know, there's bound to be... Um, a couple of spanners in there that uh, will be unexpected. So now that we're up and running, um, can you just map out what you, you envisage the rest of the season looking like? You know, Van Gisbergen's got a pretty good lead. I think it's 270-something points uh, in the championship. And, you know, that's that's a, a pretty ha- handy, healthy kind of buffer that he's got over his teammate. Um, but I think... Um, you know that doesn't mean that it's a given, especially with uh, with a Bathurst. If he leaves Sydney Motorsport Park uh, after these four rounds with 300 points, uh, championships his. So that'll be a big talking point for quite a long long while to see how that all plays out. But um, you know, with Bathurst at the end of it, the championship can still change. Um, there's been so many driver announcements over the last um, couple of months about pe- people changing race teams um, without actually going racing. It means that there's a bunch of guys in, in race teams that are only they know that uh, uh, Bathurst is going to be their last round, and then they're moving on to different teams. And that that sometimes changes the the attitudes of of drivers and how they go about their business, which can be good, can be bad, can be good for us, can be bad for them, vice versa. Um, so you know, the Todd Hazelwood has announced that he's he's leaving Brad Jones Racing. You've got Andre Heimgartner that's leaving KGR and and going to Brad Jones Racing. There's another announcement I think coming tonight about Nick Perkett, what he's doing. Um, the shifts and the moves have, have been phenomenal, but there's been some that have been locked in place too, like Cam Waters, who's signed a new deal with um, with Tickford for a decent amount of time. Um, so that locks him away and, and gives him that, that um, knowledge and and security moving forward. And and he is he's a hot property. You know, he really is hot at the moment. And Tickford would have had to work uh, pretty hard, I reckon, uh, to make sure that they they uh, promise him what he needs to do the job. And I I see him as a as a title contender. If you know he still is this year, he still is at the moment, but it's 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 going to be a tough ask. But I see him, you know, really exciting moving forward. So, is he going to just uh, throw caution to the wind and and go for wins this year? Um, uh, without doubt, he's going to want to win. Um, but does it change now that uh, we've got a structure to the end of the season? I think he's going to be really exciting, and he's going to continue to put pressure on Shane, um, maybe more so than anyone else. So, um, I'm looking forward to that battle happening. Jamie Wincup. You know, finishing his career at the end of the year, full-time career. Um, you know, what's uh, what mindset has he got? Is he just going to be there to help his teammate? There's a good chance that I think he's he's going to put a lot of support in, um, to Shane to make sure that Triple Eight win this championship. Um, so that could be a pretty interesting watch. Um, but at, at the end of it, there's a, there's a lot of unknowns after this break that um, 
you know, and a lot of changes that we know are coming that uh, just might change the way people go about their their racing, which is great for the fans because, um, you know, it's uh, a little bit of uncertainty and unknown. As, uh, as they approach the end of the, uh, of the season, uh, he's another interesting character, this Max Verstappen. He's the son of uh, Joss Verstappen, who was, was a Dutch Formula One driver. But here's a kid who started, uh, I found out, he started driving uh, in Formula One uh, at an age before he actually was allowed to drive on the streets around the Formula One track. I mean, that's, to me, that's, uh, put that into perspective for us. Oh, it's totally crazy. Totally crazy. You need a dispensation to drive a Formula One car. Um, Red Bull obviously uh, had done their due diligence. They they recognised uh, a young man that was going to be a star, and and uh, they didn't get that wrong, have they? I mean, he he is uh, clearly uh, a step above, like he and Lewis Hamilton, a step above the rest, um, and they're creating this amazing battle. But you're right. I mean, you put that in perspective. I, thought, I suppose um, it's like Liam Lawson tomorrow, really. Um, actually, I mean, Liam's probably uh, is going to be older now before he drives a Formula 1 car than, than when Max was actually racing one, um, which is just phenomenal. We know how good Liam is, and uh, I'm pretty certain he's going to be in Formula 1 at some stage in the near future. But, you know, Max has already won Grand Prix. He's a championship contender. He's a leader of the world championship after such a short period of time um, doing the job. And, and, and it is phenomenal. And that, that comes down to some uh, pretty special genes in there. And, and Yoss wasn't overly successful in the old Formula 1 scenario, but, man, he's... Uh, He's built a, uh, a replica of himself and his son who um, has got everything and more and, and is going to prove to be uh, one of the best ever uh, drivers in Formula One. It's, it's an amazing story, and the weekend was was phenomenal because it, it looked at the beginning that Mercedes had a, a quite a large advantage, and Red Bull turned that around. And the strategic plan uh, with Max getting pole and then uh, losing the start, their, their strategy to, to get back in front and and uh, the confidence they had in that young man to, to do his job at, at, at a level that most of us mere mortals could only dream of um, was, mm. was incredible. And it was actually an enthralling battle to watch. Even though there wasn't any passing on the track between them, the, the, the battle, the mental battle between the two, and that started during the weekend. Max was throwing off some, some pretty interesting uh, words at Lewis Hamilton during the practice and, and the lead-up to the event. So there was a bit of, you know... Um, knife throwing going on and that's obviously been brought about by the 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 contact and the the on-track stuff that they have been involved in this year which has been again what's made formula one so interesting um but for him to come out on top and mentally i suppose get that job done was huge for him you could see lewis was working as hard as he could and 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 paid tribute to the performance of max so you know it was a it was a it was an amazing race on the weekend to see those two doing what they're doing and the championship is uh, still very very much alive and I actually wouldn't like to put money on it on who was who might take it out this year well it's confirmed we boast another world champion uh, Courtney Duncan we talked last week uh, she had to uh, perform creditably in the last round she did she wrapped up her third world championship in style uh, and uh, who's to stop her I mean where's it going to stop for her it's it's hard to imagine her uh, losing interest uh, at the level that she's at now. Oh, isn't it awesome? Um, yeah, we really, unfortunately, don't get to celebrate these kinds of things the way we, we should uh, at the moment with COVID. But, um, you know, uh, the tenacity that, that, that young lady's got and 
and obviously clearly the ability that she's got is uh, is staggering and and um, you know deserves everything she gets from it. So we are actually again going to have a chat to her tomorrow night on race control. She's uh, going to come on and we'll uh, congratulate her um, for what she's achieved. So I'm really looking forward to that. But yeah, I mean you, the physicality, the the mental side of, of motocross and what you've actually got to do, the, what you've you know putting your body on the line literally and make that happen and, and be as good as what you need to be um, on a motocross bike to achieve that, you know, she's uh, she is a star. She is absolutely a star. Um, what else, uh, prospectively, have you got lined up for tomorrow night at 7, Murph? Uh, so tomorrow night we're actually, um, I think we're going to be able to speak to Simon Crafer, um, Kiwi motorcycling, uh, motorcycling racer who currently works in the uh, pit for MotoGP. So he's one of the commentators there, gets to speak to all the uh, the superstars riding those incredible machines. And and uh, uh, Fabio Cotararo was crowned um, MotoGP World Champion on the weekend after a, uh, another amazing event um, in Italy. It was uh, Valentino Rossi's last race uh, on Italian soil as a MotoGP rider. So that was obviously pretty emotional. And, and Fabio Cotararo, the first ever French uh, MotoGP World Champion. So uh, we're going to talk to Simon and cover off all those bits and pieces with that. Um, also... We're going to speak to probably not many people um, would know, but Martin Short, uh, who young Kiwi guy, who has been given the role of, of being engineer at Triple Eight next year for Brock Feeney as well. So um, Martin's worked his way through the ranks over in Australia with Triple Eight over the last few years and done a, an amazing job. So we're going to have a little chat to him because he's been given the task of chief engineer there uh, for one of those cars. So that's a, that's a pretty big endorsement by them. So yeah, we're, and those guys plus uh, a few more as well. Well, Murph, sounds like a very full show. Uh, thanks very much for your, your contribution uh, and update on uh, particularly what's happening in those supercars for us uh, this morning. Uh, have uh, a good remainder to the week. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers, uh, Greg Murphy there, just over the hill in Havelock North, uh, to be fair. A lot of texts coming in and uh, very good ones too about uh, the cricket, uh, particularly this one here. Do you think if they had their time again, would they have picked Tom Latham after his form against the... Bangladesh side. Yes, uh, well, I do um, think that he's always in there thinking, Tom Latham, always. And we heard from him, T20 cricket is still in his thinking. Uh, <clears throat> a bit late for this tournament, quite clearly. Uh, but I, I'm not sure uh, he would have been too bad a player to have in the mix. But they had the players there. You know, it wasn't that long ago we were saying they had a, a pretty well-balanced side. It's just, uh, did they rearrange them in the right order last night? Uh, someone coming in, oh, Pete, in fact, coming in and saying, my criticism would be of Williamson, and he doesn't cop much, to be fair. In the past, our greatest captains and best players have put team before themselves in open and short form. Crow, Fleming, McCullum, before Conway came along and they didn't open with him last night. He has almost always been walking out to bat within the first couple of overs anyway. So he should have been openings, talking about Williamson. If he, has, if he is our best batsman and needs to face the most balls. I, well, <coughs> I agree with, with, with you on that, Pete. Uh, but I just think we go back to Conway. It was working, wasn't it? I mean... Uh, all of a sudden this kid from South Africa who had to wait to qualify uh, has turned out to be gold, absolute walking gold for us and his position in the side at the top of the order I thought was undoubted uh, and now it is and uh, he was also doing the wicket keeping to add to the balance of the side but now he isn't uh, so what's changed? I don't know, we'll, we'll get some answers at some point but um, more importantly well, what are the answers they're going to come up with uh, in the next uh, 24 to 48 hours and, and are they? They can't uh, but, you know, uh, are they that phased about it? Do they think they feel they have to learn too much from it?
interesting. Uh, 1022, uh, no, 1018, 1022, about that 1022. We shall have a panel for you. And that this morning consists of Nikki Styrus and Jim Kays, and that should be a bit feisty, I feel. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. A uh, good panel this morning are uh, uh, teammates, I guess, when they uh, work in the a morning show, uh, the AM show. Uh, they're uh, filling in for Mark Richardson, which has been great. The whole world re- respects that. Uh, so Jim Kays we've got, uh, and Nikki Styrus, uh, and uh, of course Jim from Breakdown, award-winning journalist, uh, and Nikki um, flying the flag on uh, many news bulletins and shows uh, for News Hub as well. Nikki, can I start with you, please? Um, the Black Caps, sure. I imagine you showed a, a passing interest in it. Uh, we lost to Pakistan, I think in the end they had us uh, quite a long way out, but what did you feel about that performance? Oh, good morning, Jim and Smithy. Um, yeah, I do have a passing interest in it, you could say, although being at 3am in the morning, my passing interest was reflected more from the replay than, <laughs> than the, uh, the yeah. live affair. But actually, you know, I wasn't that disappointed, and I think that's because I believe that we, first up, was a, it was a pretty good effort. We're playing, playing a form team in the T20 World Cup in Pakistan, I mean, Sharjah is effectively a home ground for them. They've been playing in those conditions, well, ever since Pakistan's had to move out of Pakistan, pretty much. And, um, you know, they showed against India that they are probably one of the favourites to go on in this tournament. So from that respect, I think that Black Cat's um, performance, you know, for me, was probably maybe a 7 out of 10. I think uh, the areas that I was a bit confused about was Obviously, losing Lockie Ferguson was huge, um, and it's a real shame that Adam Milne couldn't come in like the like, you know, at late notice, even though the ICC is based, you know, over there. However, that's uh, another story. But um, yeah, losing that pace, out in that pace, is obviously was was huge, and um, and then so obviously then they've gone in with not no, no five frontline bowlers, um, which I felt may have been an error. But they'll rectify that, you know, against the India game, I believe. Um, the other thing I got a bit confused about was, yeah, the, the, the order, and I heard you talking about that a bit before, Smithy. Uh, I personally think they should have opened with Seifert. Um I don't know what Seifert was doing down the bottom. Daryl <laughs> uh, Mitchell's never opened. I, I mean, he did a relatively good job considering, but he's not an opener. It's the first game of a World Cup. Why would you put him there? Um, mm. That's my thought. So far, anyway. Well, I, I think Nicky perhaps uh, Seifert wasn't in the original eleven, uh, and so uh, when they put him in, they didn't want to disrupt the order that they'd come up with at the top of the order. I, I would be, wouldn't mind thinking, uh, mind believing that the only reason he came in was because Ferguson missed out. But however, we'll we'll see uh, when they go to pick their next team uh, if that is the case. Uh, Jimmy, um, what did you make of that uh, that performance? Uh, and now, of course, the scenario we find ourselves in really. You look at the rest of the draw. If we don't win this, uh, I imagine we're out. Mm. Yeah, you need to beat India absolutely, and good morning to you both. Didn't score enough runs, eh? I mean, it's pretty simple, really. One thirty-four. Uh, you look back right now, in hindsight, you know Pakistan got there with a an over and a bit to spare, didn't they? So you you sort of got to wonder, you know. And, and and if you look at the New Zealand batting lineup, well, they didn't. None of them really did what you need to do in T20, which is get that sort of fifty off twenty or something like that, isn't it? And none of them mm. got anywhere near that. Um, is Mitch Satner the right person to be bowling at the death? 
Um, I mean, I think he bends the ball about half a millimetre, and I, I'm just not sure whether he was the right person also to be to be bowling at the death. I mean, he, he got he got absolutely clobbered uh, by Shahab Malik, you know, 12 off the first three balls. Um, I know that happened. You know, Saudi got hit for two sixes in the uh, earlier over, but, but I just wonder about Mitch Shatner as our death bowler. Is he the right option, or is there someone better at that, that time of the game? Well, I think Lockie Ferguson is better, but he wasn't there. And, they, and uh, as Nick yeah. has pointed out, we couldn't get Adam Milnes there uh, so, uh, uh, in time. So I, I kind of, uh, I kind of re- expect uh, everything sort of changed on that basis. But you should have those contingencies mm. sort of worked out. That's what World Cups are all about. One of the interesting things that's come out of the non-cricketing side of it, uh, Jim, you may have caught up with us overnight, is that uh, mm. Quinton de Kock uh, refused to play. Uh, on the basis that he would not be forced to take a knee along with the rest of the South African team. Now, uh, this was a directive uh, for this game in particular. Uh, interesting this, uh, and he's such a formidable force within the side. So it's a, a powerful message, but I'm not quite sure which way it is. Yeah, well, if you read what the board has come out and said, they say the board has made it clear it was imperative for the team to be seen uh, taking a stand against against racism. That's Highly laudable, I'm sure we all agree on that. Um, and taking the knee wasn't the only way that he could have done that. There were uh, three other options. One was to raise a, a fist. One was to um, stand at attention, uh, which I thought was interesting as well. Um, so it didn't didn't actually have to be that he took a knee. Um, I would suggest that he won't play again in the tournament. You know, how does he come back from that? How do they include him in the team when he so publicly refused to, to take a stand against racism? How can you refuse to take a stand against racism? I don't understand that. You know, like, I get that, that beggar's belief. Do you understand how you can refuse to take a stand against racism? How but, do you, but, how do you I don't know, support but, that? Jim, I don't think it was a stand against racism at all. I think what it was is exactly like Kyrie Irving's doing in the NBA. It's taking a stand against somebody forcing you to do something and it's not your decision. I think that it was more yeah, about the freedom. That's, that's a different thing. This is, no, it's not, though. No, it's not. You know, it's no, not it is. Because not. basically they're saying, no, they're basically saying, you, you can't force me to do something that should be a decision I can make and, and I will do it if I feel that it is the right decision. But, and, and this is exactly what Kyrie Irving said. He said, I'm not, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I I'd happily get the vaccination. I have a complete problem with being told that I can't play if I don't abide by your directives. And I think that's exactly what Clinton de Kock just done. I think the de Kock one is, is demonstrably different because he is, he is by his actions, uh, saying that he supports racism. You know, if you are refusing to take a stand against racism, then you are tacitly support, well, not even tacitly, you are outwardly supporting racism. And for him to not even to not even come out and explain why he's not doing it. He says, I'll keep my reasons to myself. It's my own personal opinion. Well, you know, they're not asking him to do something extreme. He could have stood at attention. That's all he had to do was stand at attention. You, you know, to, to not support what is an international global stand against racism. And we've seen racism so much in the stands of, of so many different mm. sports. I just think it's it's reprehensible for him not to use the platform that he's got to take a stand against something that is so disgusting in society. And and I think by not doing so, he is positioning himself as racist. 
Mm. Mm. Yeah, look, uh, look, I fundamentally agree with you um, in the sense of racism is absolutely abhorrent and should not be, um, it shouldn't be an issue, but I just think that there's, there's, there's a bigger and wider issue that's happening in the world at the moment, and I think you're seeing more and more people taking a stand against being told what they have to do. And I think this pandemic has has kind of, um, you know, made this a bigger issue. And I think maybe, maybe it'll come out that he says, he comes out and he actually says that. I, I don't like racism, but I don't want you to tell me I have to stand there and, and do something when I, I, I can do that myself. You know, that that's my decision. But yeah, I fundamentally sure, agree with you. We, but we get told to do things all the time by governments, don't we? We get told to wear... Seat belts. We get told to obey speed limits. We get told to wear life jackets when we go out on boats. We get told to wear helmets. But, but that's for your you know, protection like, of your life. That's, that's your protection of your health. You know, like that. Which that's is which is the life. same as the vaccine, isn't it? I mean, this thing goes around in circles, Nikki. And and yes, I, I agree with you. Fundamentally, we need to protect our individual rights, hundred percent. But I don't think that that's the case with the with the Decock situation. You know, it's it's bizarre that he would do what he's done. We don't, we don't know because know he that. won't say. He, yeah. he won't say what his position is. Yeah, so that's actually which leaves him, He actually needs to come back out which leaves and say what his reasoning is. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. right. Well, his Otherwise position, it leaves him open to, the, to racism. Yeah. yeah. His position right now is in the dressing room, and as Jim's pointed out, it's, it threatens to stay <laughs> that way unless they come to an impasse on it. We'll take a, a quick break for a, a belated news, and then we'll come back on another couple of very interesting issues which I'm, I'm sure you'll have an opinion on. Uh, 10.33, here's Trudy. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Great panel this morning. I love hearing those uh, uh, opinions and um, it's not that um, I disagree with uh, any of them to be fair because uh, knowing Quinton de Kock, I've never it's never struck me that he's out and out racist, I, I've got to say. Um, but maybe, maybe on this matter, that's the way he's perceived as being. And uh, you're probably right on that score, Jimmy. Uh, along with Nikki Styrus this morning, Jim. Let's change uh, tack just a little bit. Uh, are you wowed by this uh, this northern tour so far? I mean, mismatch, gross <laughs> mismatch at the weekend, and threatening to be another one. And uh, I know you're a, a passionate man about the All Blacks and, and matchups uh, against traditionals like Wales. Man, I hope it doesn't go the same way. Yeah, you'd, oh, look, I totally agree. I mean, yes, it was a mismatch of all proportions in America, wasn't it, you know? Uh, and now, if, if, the thing is, I know there's been a lot made of the guys who aren't going to be in the Welsh team, and there are a few of them. There's a, there's uh, one, there's a couple of the forwards, you know, including um, Falato, who's a, who's a very good player. Uh, Dan Big is missing from the backs. Nick Tompkins and, um, oh, the, I think he's a wing, that Reese Zammett. Uh, mm. But, they, you know, they, they're still going to have a decent side. The All Blacks are missing players as well. Teams are always missing players at different stages of, of tours and, and, and events. So, yeah, I, it would be very disappointing if Wales aren't um, competitive. Um, and they should be competitive. As I say, they're only missing five or six players from that team. The All Blacks are missing a few players from our team as well. So you would hope it's a really good contest. I mean, there is... There are a few places, Smithy, that you can go to to watch a game of rugby that are as magical as a, as a full house in Cardiff. It is absolutely brilliant, as I know you know. And, mm. um, you, you know, I just hope that the match lives up to what will be a grand occasion. It's sold out. Really interesting, actually. It's sold out, 
and you have to have a, a negative test 48 hours beforehand. And this is where we need to get to in New Zealand. They have a, a I think it's a spit test. It's a saliva flow test. So it's very mm. simple to do. You have that, and then you have to show evidence of that to go into the stadium. So let's hope that we can, you know, reopen and and and, and get to that sort of point that they've got in, in, in Wales and in Cardiff for this test match. Even no- noise coming out of uh, the UK, people like uh, Stuart Barnes, etc., um, who are always quite passionate now, uh, forthcoming with their uh, views, and I, I don't mind that at all, Nikki saying that the All Blacks basically at, at the moment just appear to be almost a money-making tool for uh, home <laughs> unions. Oh, look, I think that's, that might be true, but um, it's a sign of the times, I think, and, and you've only got to sit there and go, well, you know, the rugby union, uh, after the failed Silver Lakes deal, are probably doing everything they can to get money in the coffers so that they can continue, and this pandemic um, has put an immense amount of pressure on Every sporting organisation with things cancelled left, right and centre, you're not getting people through the gates and hopefully, like Jim said, eventually we will get them back again. But, you know, that, that revenue source is currently dried up. So going over to the United States was for one reason and one reason only, and that was to put some money in the NZR coffers. And I think that's absolutely justified. I have no issue with that. Yeah. Um, yes, it was a mismatch, but, you know, the people that went along probably knew that's what they were going to see, and I just wanted to see the All Blacks play. And I think, you know, all credit to them. So, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with that comment. So okay, can I can uh, I try, jump in on yeah. that because because yeah. I, I take huge exception to some of these people saying what they say. Rugby is a professional sport. It's no different Absolutely. to any other business, and and they need to make money. And some of these guys who still have their heads stuck up the amateur era, and and they they look at it as if it's dirty or something. But at the same time, they would then mm. be critical if the German rugby wasn't able to be financially viable. And, they, and then they'd come around and say, well, well, why haven't you done this and why haven't you done that? Yes, they've gone away to play two test matches in America and in Cardiff that are outside of the test window to raise money. I praise them for that. I think that's a really sensible Same. business decision by the New Zealand Rugby Union to do that. They've, they're going to make they made two million, I think, out of America and a couple more million out of Cardiff. And that pays not only wages at the elite level, but it trickles down, hopefully, and it keeps the game financially viable. It is just ridiculous to criticise them for doing things to make money. God, what, 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 what planet are they living on? Uh, in, a, in a, short, uh, a very short sentence, does Bowden Barrett deserve to start for his 100th, or does he come off the bench, Jim, for you? Oh, that's so hard. It's his 100th. I'd start him. The, the romantic in me would start him. But I think Richie Moanga deserves to start as the, the form first 5-8. Ooh, OK. <laughs> and Nicky? I'm going to go the opposite. That's not really a surprise today, is it? <laughs> I'm going to say Barrett. <laughs> Only because I think, yeah, your 100th, you know, he's been a wonderful servant to New Zealand rugby. I think he deserves it, and I think he's performed well enough in the, in the recent rugby championships to deserve that start. Richie Moanga's got a fantastic future. Let Barrett come play play against Wales, and I'm sure that the following test that you'll see a reversal. Yep, I can't think of a better place actually outside New Zealand to get uh, due, uh, a due response and a due reception than uh, the Millennium Stadium chock-a-full singing. I just think for Bowden Barrett that would be something special. Hey, Jimmy, uh, and to you, Nikki, thanks so much for your time this morning. Loved your debate. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's the kind of thing I think we could empty a zillion wine bottles and quite a few kegs 
and still disagree on at the end of the day. So thank you for your input this morning. Fantastic. That was the panel uh, here on SENZ uh, 10.41. Uh, Some more text before uh, 11 o'clock, as well as a visit to uh, the TAB, and uh, we'll hear from Louis Herman Watt on a busy racing Wednesday. SENZ, there's a new team in town. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Double eight, double three is our text number, of course. It's getting to that time of uh, the month where uh, we will be handing out $10,000 worth of temper products in terms of a queen mattress, queen adjustable base and two temper pillows and another pillow for a successful uh, winner this week as well. And uh, the reason I say that is uh, it will come from this show. It will come from the 9 to 12 show. Uh, and um, everyone's, we've got three entries so far into the big draw. Uh, so get some texts in, please, this week and make yourself available to win that prize. How good would that be uh, just prior going into the, the holiday season and you've got one of the great, most comfortable beds to sleep on? Uh, no, no problem with that at all. Uh, and some great texts coming in this morning as well. Uh, a question from Brent in Brisbane. That's the second one this morning. Uh, read the form since returning from Japan of Bowden Barrett. Before Japan, Bowden Barrett was explosive and dangerous and a must-pick in the in a run-on team. Geordie Barrett has excelled so much in the last 12 months that he is now a must-pick. Combine a softer style of rugby in Japan, a niggly, niggling leg injury, but in my opinion, the responsibility that goes with fatherhood. Fatherhood has a huge impact on some players as in Bowden Barrett, well, there's a different one altogether. Being a dad, does that affect the, the way you play your rugby? Oh, that I've never even considered that, to be fair. Uh, that's an interesting perspective. Maybe that's a, a texting subject for double eight double three. Does fatherhood affect the way you do your job? Might not necessarily be as a sportsman either. I guess it comes under your thinking uh, in terms of your availability and uh, your future and all that sort of thing. And, and certainly home when you're away. Uh, would certainly come into that. But does it affect your form and the way that you play the game? Hmm, interesting point. Uh, if Craig's come in and said, uh, Craig from Bay of Plenty, I think is in the draw for the Temper Big Prize. Uh, what an interesting interview with Tom Parsons. He spoke very well. His experience and leadership qualities would be an asset to any super rugby team. Another example of really good rugby players in this country not being given the opportunity to make the next step up. He could end up playing overseas or for Moana Pacifica, and perhaps uh, lost to New Zealand rugby. I'm not sure about that. As he said, his base is now Central Hawks Bay. He's got his ducks in a row off the field of rugby, um, a, a wife, a family, uh, and a family farm uh, in the Central Hawks Bay area. And, uh, you know, once uh, you'll find a lot of people that come off the farm generally migrate back to the farm uh, for various reasons. But, uh, you know, I, I don't expect uh, that Tom Parsons will be lost to Hawks Bay rugby for a while. Uh, Chase has come in and said, this is, uh, he's thrown a, a few names into the mix in terms of his playing 11. He would have had, he can't have now, he would have had Ferguson and Milne in the same 11. Santner and Sody. so there's uh, your four bowling options covered. You've got to have Bolton there as well, so that's that's five. Along with Phillips and Chapman, that would be part of the bowling group as well. So what you're leaving out there really is Santner uh, and either so, uh, Saudi or, or Bolt. Uh, we'd also add Nisham and Mitchell to that lineup as well. So you've got a host of, of bit part bowlers there in your side chase, which is uh, not necessarily a bad thing, but you've got to get wickets. You've got to get people out. Uh, and uh, that's what you have to do to get India. We have to get 
wickets, we really do have to get wickets straight away uh, against India because if we don't have them two or three down for 30, uh, they'll get 100 and plenty, maybe 100 and plenty too many. Uh, 10.50 here on SENZ. Keep those texts coming in, please. Uh, Louis Herman Watt uh, and our visit to the TAB. And this morning, I'm told it's with Pip Morris, uh, just before 11. Voice of Sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Racing today at Gore, way down the bottom of the deep south. Hope you have a good uh, race day down there, folks, as we head towards Cup Week in Christchurch. So there'll be some contenders maybe heading north uh, for that particular meeting at that point. Louis Herman Watt joins us uh, this morning. And you've got uh, Louis James McDonald on your mind. I do have James McDonald on my mind, Smithy. Uh, I often have James McDonald on my mind if I'm watching racing, actually. In a totally non-creepy way, but I do have a crush on the guy because he rides so many winners, and that's okay. I think we can be upfront and we can be mature about that. Now, he is down in Victoria at the moment, Smithy. He escaped the wrath of mm-hmm. New South Wales, and he, he got his way down there. Um, he obviously had his ride on Zaki, the Cox pay, favourite, scratched out of the race the morning of, and you can kind of hear his like lampshades and, I don't know, side table ornaments crashing and breaking from this side of the Tasman, I reckon, in his palatial crown suite. But this weekend, there's plenty to smile about. Have a listen to this book of ride on Derby Day, and... As a punter, Smithy, Derby Day for you, best day of the year? Absolutely, no doubt about it. Been there on two occasions and never regretted it for a second. I'm not a big person in crowds, but I'll put up with it for that kind of quality, mate. Yep, there you go. That's the the sentiment that I share as well, mate. James McDonald's Derby Day rides, all right? He's got uh, Tutakaka in the actual derby itself, a $10 or about an $8 shot. It's got to be a great shot. He's got Cascadian in the Kennedy Cast. Cantala, the mile race, the Group 1 race. He's got Home Affairs in the $1.5 million Group 1 Coolmore Stud Stakes, the, tw- the sprint up the straight there. Unbelievable. He has got uh, Amaralina, a horse we will be familiar with for Tiakau in the Empire Rose Stakes. Of course, Tiakau has success in this race uh, three years ago with Melody Bell. He has got Fangirl in the Paramount and Carbine Club Stakes. He has got Wake. Uh, he has got um, uh, Diocese's in the Z Run, the Group 2. What else does he have? Brooklyn Hustle, Great House, and Minhaj to finish his book. And to me, that probably is one of the strongest books on a Group 1 day you could find. And that's the sort of yeah, jockey and, he is. And that really attracts attention. And, and, of course, you can see that in the market as well. Most of those horses, uh, Louis, will be, uh, what, under 3 bucks, 3 or 4 bucks at the, at the very outside. Uh, right now you're getting, nah, not not quite, you're getting some odds. Armour is going to be about $16. I think I got some $30-odd, $30 futures on her and was pretty stoked mm. with that. It's going to be a tough race, the Empire Rose, but it'll be an absolute cracker. I just think he's a jockey to follow. I mean, he doesn't get down to Victoria too much in the COVID time, so jump on. Okay, uh, Louis, uh, thanks very much for that. Uh, as I said, Gore today. Get now, and uh, this fellow was the find of the summer last year as he took the T20 Super Smash by storm, and he's made a winning start to this season with the Wellington Firebirds as well in the Plunkett Shield. Uh, really good morning to Finn Allen. Thanks for joining us, Finn. Cheers, Smitty. Thanks for having me. No, great, mate. Great to talk to you uh, for the first time for me anyway, and, uh, man, it's been 
a, a real rise for you and a, 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 a pretty impressive last 12 months, mate. Can you believe uh, when you first walked out to the Basin Reserve, you'd actually end up in places like uh, Bangladesh and the IPL? It's been terrific for you. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a pretty crazy year. and I certainly didn't expect that it was going to sort of happen, happen this fast. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just, again, grateful for Wellington for all that opportunity I got. And, yeah, honestly, it's just it's pretty hard to fathom um, for myself as well. And it's, it's just been an awesome ride so far, you know, all the exposure I've had to sort of the, coach, the coaches and, and players all around the world. Um, just so many learnings, and it's been so good for me in, in evolving my game. When you first come into cricket, I think, even though you're young and you're new, I think sometimes you have the element of surprise because not too many people know too much about you. If you do well, they start to find out very quickly. So uh, when you look at that impression you made last summer, what was it that actually worked for you? Um, well, I think it all started off with with um, Glenn Potnell sort of instilled this confidence in me and, and sort of made me feel like I was probably a, a bit better than I am and, and gave me that confidence to just go out and, and be free and play how I want to play my game and, and he just gave me yeah, that free reign to just you know, he trusted me to, to do what I want to do and play how I want to play and I think that, that worked really well for me. Um, I always felt like I had full backing from him and, and yeah, that was just huge for me and then now I guess with all the scouting and everything around this last eight months being away and it's just been about trying to evolve my game and, and um, become more difficult to bowl at, I guess. Um, I've just been enjoying the, the opportunity to work with, with some of the best coaches going around and, and learn as much as I can and, like I said, just grow my game so that it's, it's not sort of the same as last year, if you know what I mean. Mm. Uh, Van Allen, we're talking to folks. This is a great story because it's a, a very quick rise to, um, uh, to the level that he's got to. Uh, aside from Glenn Pocknell, uh, let's, let's talk about the people who have been alongside you and influencing you. I, I imagine Devin Conway has been, um, you know, a, an interesting bloke to get alongside. Yeah, I mean, just an unbelievable player to, to firstly start off the tournament batting with and just such a calming influence on me. Um, I think the way we sort of complemented each other in that tournament worked really well and, and he was just so good at, you know, keeping me going and and just keeping me calm at the same time and it was sort of every time a boundary would happen or whatever it was never um you know come on mate like keep getting through it was always mate keep going you know just keep keep doing you and just that encouragement to just not hold back and and like i said i think that instills this confidence in me to just keep backing myself and i think that's when i'm at my best um and so i've just tried to to keep that going everywhere i've gone and yeah, again, he's he's played a massive part in that, um, and to see him become what he's become now is, you know, we all knew he was capable of that, and he always had it in him. It's just been yeah, pretty awesome to see him also, you know, come into international cricket and just kill it from from day one. Also, of course, you you've had a taste, uh, a very early taste of uh, of the IPL. Uh, tell us who you rub shoulders with there and. And who I guess you you gleaned all the information from because there's some fairly high-profile figures around that competition. Yeah, I mean, especially being at RCB with you know the likes of Virat, AB, Glenn Maxwell, 
you know, those guys were so good to just talk to um, outside of cricket as well and just pick their brains. Um, Maxwell was really helpful for me in terms of playing spin. Um, that was huge. You know, he, I suppose we sort of looked at playing spin in a similar way. We wanted to, you know, take it to them and, and be aggressive. And I guess we just had a lot of conversations around how to do that and how he's been so successful in it. And again, I took so many learnings from that and that flowed on to obviously being at Lancashire that was sort of a spinning wicket as well and then getting the, mm. to um, put it to the test against Bangladesh over in some pretty pretty tough spinning conditions. So, again, those guys were just so influential on me and, and helped so much with, with my learning to the game. Obviously, uh, Finn, like all of us, you're keeping an eye on the T20 World Cup uh, and the developments there. Uh, what, have you, what have you made of the competition so far? I mean, uh, Pakistan, look, uh, they said right from the outset they would be very determined. They feel a little bit let down, a little bit hurt. Uh, and I think you can see that in their performance. They've, uh, they've been pretty strong. Yeah, obviously. You know, when we were over there, we knew we were up for a good challenge. And I suppose now they've got, you know, a bit more of a reason to come even harder at us. And, and they certainly did that. Um, and they look like a serious side and they've got a lot of seriously good players and I know we do too um, and I think it, it just looked like a tough batting surface and yeah it's, it's tough to make make um, make a lot from it I didn't see the whole game it was in the early hours of the morning but and I had to catch the flight here but again I got full faith in our guys I know we've got a seriously good side over there some unbelievable talent so you know I've, mm. it's only game one you know I think we've got four or five more games to go so yeah it'll be it'll be great to watch and see how they adapt to that and and come back stronger the next game against India I think yeah that is against India and they've got to win it and they've got to win the remainder of the game so one of the uh, the great things uh, and you mentioned you touched on it before Finn uh, I think that's coming out of cricket at the moment particularly around the subcontinent area is the uh, I, I think the growth of spin, the influence on spin on it, which uh, from a batting point of view means you have to go find answers. Just how tough was it um, in Bangladesh uh, and how much of an influence do you, do you see spin bowling in the short form of the game? Yeah, obviously it was, it was a big challenge um, coming from New Zealand where we don't get those kind of conditions. Um, so I think I was actually really well prepared from the build-up that I'd had from the the IPL and, and Lancashire and, and all that. Um, so yeah, again, that just meant that I had the chance to prepare and have plans in place and know how I was sort of going to go about things. Um, mm -hmm. So that was huge. Um, and then, yeah, obviously the, the impact spin has on T20 cricket is massive. You know, we're seeing it in the World Cup. We see it even back home. Um, good spin bowls are pretty hard to take down. Um, so yeah, it's just it's having options, and like I said, that's where I'm trying to evolve my game. You know, whether it's uh, switch hitting in the power play if they've got the offside up, or, or manipulating the ball into gaps. You know, I think for me that's what I want to look to do. So I've just been trying to do that and, and practice it as much as I can, so that I can pull it out in games with confidence, and again just make myself harder to bowl at. It's 11-11 here on uh, SCNZ, which is a bad no, uh, number for crickets, uh, cricketers, to be fair. We're talking to uh, Finn Allen this morning, which uh, is, uh, I'm finding really interesting and exciting to talk to one of New Zealand's uh, up-and-coming and, and real genuine sporting and cricketing uh, talents along the way. Uh, Finn, uh, you've had a brush with COVID. Tell us, uh, tell us about that. Uh, uh, we hear so much about it. Most of us don't, fortunately, get uh, anywhere near it. Uh, but you did. Now tell us a wee bit about that and uh, how you got through it. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting time for sure. Um, I just landed in Bangladesh. Got about four days into my seven-day isolation there and then tested positive. Um, so, yeah, basically had to go through a couple more tests just to confirm that it was um, a guaranteed positive, and unfortunately it was, and I was um, looked after really well. You know, Bangladesh Cricket Board was was really good to me, um, put me in a nice hotel room so I was nice and comfortable, had plenty of room to move around, and, and New Zealand Cricket were on the phone all the time, lots of people ringing me to make sure I was okay and you know they, they did everything they could and it, it definitely made things a lot easier for me. Um, had a few rough days in the beginning, um, just struggling with breathing and, and that sort of things but other than that you know once that passed it was yeah, it was okay and it was it was made a lot easier for sure um, by the BCB which was yeah really awesome. Well, now you're home, of course, uh, and you're playing uh, Plunkett Shield cricket, uh, which is a new experience for you as well. Great start for you guys, knocking over Otago by six wickets, so a lot of confidence out of that. But uh, your role is a bit different in uh, four-day cricket because you're batting, what, middle order? Yeah, batting at six, and obviously first four four games are at home as well. The Basin presents just a new challenge. Um, so, yeah, I'm just... Again, it's exciting to, to learn and, and try and grow that four-day game as well, um, which is something I definitely want to keep working on. Um, got a long way to go at this point, but again, it's, it's a new challenge, and I'm, yeah, I'm excited by it. and Just trying to figure out how I want to play my four-day cricket, I guess. Um, that's probably the, the main thing at the moment is yeah, just how I go about it and, and sort of what kind of four-day player I want to be. Mm. Uh, it is actually, uh, but I, I mean, you know, you don't really at your age. You don't want to be earmarked a white ball player anyway, because uh, <coughs> I, I would imagine uh, at some point you've uh, you've dreamt of that black cap as well on top of your head. So uh, developing at six and maybe moving up the order is is probably the way to go. Yeah, I've had had really good uh, conversations with Poppers about it all through the winter about where I see myself batting and and how I do want to play, and, and we're working towards that, and I think, yeah, settling, settling in at six, you know, get comfortable, find my feet in four-day cricket, and then earn the right to go up the order is something I've always said I want to do, so, yeah, test cricket's definitely a dream as well. Um, I still see it as the pinnacle format, and, yeah, obviously everyone dreams of, of playing test cricket, so it's still massively on the forefront of my mind. Um, but, yeah, again, I just want to go out there and, and just... Um, contribute to winning games for Wellington in all formats and it's obviously a, a difficult time with, with the schedules and everything so we're, we're just trying to be as adaptable as we can to who we play against and this weekend we got Canterbury so Matt Henry and, and the rest of the bowling attack provide a pretty pretty tough challenge um, so yeah again I'm just looking forward to, to getting through that and seeing how I go I guess Okay, so uh, you're learning every day, and, and tell us about your second innings dismissal. What uh, that, that sounded a little bit uh, odd. Tell it, uh, tell us a wee bit about that and what you learnt from that. To be honest, I was it was just a bit of a mind blank. To be honest, um, it hit me straight on the big toe, and I thought straight away I was like, "Well, that's going to be crashing in the middle, surely." And it wasn't. I sort of, I just paused. I don't know. It was one of those moments, you know, sometimes you walk away from a dismissal and you, you just think, like, what have I done there? How, like, how has that happened? Um, but, yeah, I suppose I just try not to read into that too much. You know, it's, hopefully it doesn't happen again or 
for a long time anyway. It's just one of those things, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm feeling good. I feel like I'm moving well, and and I'm figuring out my temperament in, in the game and and all that sort of thing. So it's just I think just getting along with the process and, and trusting that process and go from there. Is there any one player that you've modelled yourself on? I mean, as you've come through the ranks, have you, or have you looked at certain players and picked a little bit of this, a little bit of that? But is there anyone's attitude or style that you've particularly admired, home or overseas? Yeah, for me, it was always growing up, I, I just loved watching Kevin Peterson play the game. Um, the way that he just took it to the opposition and, and his movements were always so positive and his body language was so so dominant and he just wanted to you know, score runs and score it in a way that was his own and, and I've just always really loved watching that I think I've probably watched every YouTube video there is on him batting um, obviously pick apart other guys games and try and learn off them as well but for me the way that KP just took the game on that, that for me always stood out growing up and still now I admire that and, and try and bring that to, to my cricket as well well, Finn, I'll tell you what, um, uh, if you become the player Kevin Peterson uh, has uh, been in his career, uh, then I would imagine you're going to do great things for New Zealand uh, in the years to come. Wish you all the best uh, for that, uh, and uh, in particular in the short term, uh, the remainder of uh, the Plunkett Shield, and uh, uh, of course uh, the Super Smash is uh, kicking off, I think, on November 26th. You guys are up against Canterbury down at Hagley. So uh, busy time, busy time. All the best, mate. Thanks for talking to us. Awesome, cheers, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, cheers, uh, folks. That's Finn Allen. Uh, keep your name, uh, that name under um, observation because he is uh, a raw talent, a raw talent, and uh, he has made a big statement already uh, in New Zealand cricket and will do in the years coming ahead. Uh, 88.33 is our uh, text number. Some interesting ones have come in, uh, some opinions on team selection. Someone saying, uh, Ken saying, what about Doug Bracewell? Uh, is he there? No, he's not. He's playing for the Central Stags. He says there's too many part-timers in the group. He wants a specialist like uh, Doug Bracewell. Other ones to, to read out after the break as well. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, 11.22, uh, 11.23 actually just ticked over here on SENZ in the mornings. Uh, not too far away from... Joining Mark Stafford to take us through the afternoon. Plenty to do before that, though. Uh, interesting to uh, see that game this morning and to hear from uh, Kane Williamson and his uh, reaction after the match, courtesy of Sky Sport. Unfortunately, we couldn't quite um, nail things towards the, the back end, but at the same time, there was so much good in that game um, from our side, but we're up against a very strong side in Pakistan, and, and credit to them today, they were, they were outstanding. We noticed uh, a, a special uh, tactic from New Zealand bowlers, that is especially bowling uh, right at the body or maybe just middle and leg stump line. Yeah, um, I, I thought they were outstanding for 80% of the game and we wanted to bowl as straight as possible. Um, the wicket was keeping very low and, and it was quite clear as soon as we missed our length, that was when there was um, some value for your shots, but as soon as you were on it, it was um, very difficult. So, uh, it, it, like I say, it, quite tough to swallow. We, we were um, going into that second half Looking forward to um, you know getting into the fight and uh, and unfortunately it didn't go away today. But um, like I say, it was a very strong Pakistan side and um, certainly the ones to watch. 
there'll also be another very close game which is going to be watched and you will be up against India. Obviously a quick turnaround, what is going to be your process and alongside the team in the dressing room and the chat outside? Yeah, um, you know, it's a, like I say, a game of very small margins and um, we go to a different venue obviously yeah. against a, a different team and that of India, a very strong side and for us it's, um, we do have a few days so we'll have those conversations and, and plan accordingly but there is some good, uh, a lot of good, I think, to take from this, some, a lot of good decision-making, but unfortunately in these low-scoring games, the margins are, are very fine, and um, today it didn't go our way. His uh, thoughts, his uh, analysis, obviously uh, straight after the match, they will go in depth, don't worry about that. Um, the Black Caps probably already doing it. Um, any news on the ICC comes to us courtesy of Razine, New Zealand's most trusted paint brand for uh, the past 10 years. Uh, too many scores, uh, says Jordan. Too many scores in the 20s for us. We need someone to get 50. Well, that is the job of the top order, um, and that uh, was, is what we were lacking, of course. Uh, every time you look to up the pace um, and start hitting the big shots, you start taking extra risks, Jordan, uh, and sometimes they pay off, sometimes they don't. Normally you would expect uh, one of those guys who gets to 20 to go on to 40 or 50. That didn't happen, and you're absolutely spot on. Uh, with your assessment there. We may not be good enough this time against the heavyweights unless we have one person stand up with that outstanding performance. Totally agree with that. That's uh, really uh, good analysis. Um, this morning, Smithy, great panel today. Brilliant to hear from Jimmy Kays on the airways. Uh, but he said, but the mention of Stuart Barnes, Stuart Barnes, the name that a lot of New Zealand rugby fans love to hate, uh, it got my back up. And when, when has that hack that hack ever written a single positive word about the All Blacks or New Zealand rugby? Never is the answer. Why he uh, ever, why we ever even report on anything that fool writes baffles me. Uh, but the hack in the sin bin or the better red card, uh, anything he has to communicate, put him in the sin bin. We don't need him. Uh, PJ from Tamuka. Uh, I guess you don't like Stuart Barnes, PJ. That's what I'm gleaning from that particular text. Uh, and you're not alone. Absolutely, you are not alone with that. Uh, another one from Brent. How about this? Melbourne Cup, lots of people in Level 3. Will the government open outlets for the biggest gamble day? What do you think, Smithy? No. Do you think this government seriously, seriously give a toss about uh, the Melbourne Cup and people having a traditional annual bet on the Melbourne Cup? Do you really believe that? No, Brent, they won't do that. Not one, what, for one blinking second. And if they can't uh, have consideration for Cup Week in Christchurch, uh, an event that happens to Australia is way down the pecking order as far as they're concerned, I'm sure about that. Um, and here's another one from Liam, because we had this amazing debate, John, amazing debate between uh, Jimmy Kayes uh, and Nicky Styrus this morning, and, uh, and you said uh, you don't think either of them were wrong. So here's an interesting one. Uh, Liam says, can't agree with Nicky on this one. All, uh, all he has to do, uh, talking about Quinton de Kock here, is to drop a knee for two seconds, just two seconds in his life, Drop a knee. Uh, this screams old racist South Africa to me. And uh, you're sort of, I won't say you're sitting on the fence, you've sort of uh, got opinions both ways. Yeah, well, I, I thought it was an awesome panel. It's exactly what we want, isn't it, Smithy? And we knew we'd get it out of Jim Kayes and Nicky Styrus. And it's just interesting, especially being from South Africa, you'd think you'd want to be seen to take a stand. And I guess that's South African cricket's point of view, and that's why they mandated it. Hey, you guys have to do this. Whereas Quinton de Cox very much on the freedom side of things, saying, hey, well, I don't actually have to do anything.
Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Here we go, that time of the day where we give away a $50 voucher from the TAB and some daytime revive from Sleep Drops, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And we head down to the south of New Zealand, good old Dunedin, where we find Brad. G'day, Brad. You've made it first onto the line. How are we, guys? I'm going good, Smithy. You've had to get up at bloody 2.30 in the morning and a black cap's lost. So how are you feeling, mate? Um, look, I, I absolutely um, loved it. I loved the occasion. So uh, in that respect, uh, it wasn't such a hard thing to get up and watch it at that hour. It was the night before. I didn't quite find the same passion about Afghanistan against Scotland, John. But yeah. however, that's cricket. <laughs> Fair enough. Say, that's cricket. All right, Brad, you get three sports. You choose one and then get three questions right and you win, but get one wrong and you can or will get stumped by Smithy. So your categories today, rugby union, Basketball and Formula One. Which one of those do you like? Uh, go Rugby Union. Rugby Union. Solid. Very solid. Um, yeah, Otago, have you lost lost hope in the championship or you reckon you can spring a surprise? Uh, Sounds like you lost hope. Uh, up, and, up, and, up and down. Yeah, probably not a. Eh? Yeah, next year. Yeah, I'm feeling the same way about Tasman, but we'll wait and see. It's never over until it's over. Rugby Union, your first question. When was the last time the All Blacks played against Wales? Uh, bronze final in the World Cup. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Very quick with that one, Brad. Smithy, you would have taken a little bit longer, or were you onto that one too? No, I was onto that one. So, um, well done. Yeah, absolutely fantastic answer, that. Yeah, Ben Smith's last yeah, game in black. It. You must have cried that day, Brad. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, sad day, that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, what a player. Wow, one of the greats. How was he not in the 23 for the semi-final against England? I'm forever going to be angry about that, Brad. Oh, I'm still roughed up with Shag by that one. Yeah, so am I. But anyway, we move on. Question number two. When was the last time Wales beat the All Blacks? What year? Oh. I'd say before you were born. Oh, well before I was born. Uh, 19... Well, I want to say 53... That's a couple of chips down the wicket, oh, yes. right in the slot, and away it goes. Yes, Brad. Yes, Brad. One of the greats. Are your ancestors Welsh? No, absolutely not. No, Smithy. Brilliant. Pumpha. Yes, Brad. Yes, Brad. Pumpha. <laughs> yes, boy. Oh, Smithy does not like this. He likes to get a chance at a stumping, and he may not get one the way you're going, Brad. Question number three for the sleep drops and for the 50 bucks from the TAB. Several New Zealanders have gone on to play for Wales. Name two of them. For Wales? Yep. Um, one's Willis Hallaholo, not playing, unfortunately, good player. And Gareth Hanscom. That's a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Well, there you go, Brad. Three from three. We haven't had that for so long, Smithy. Someone calling the quiz who actually knows what he's answering. Yeah, well, 
I, I, I thrilled for Brad. Absolutely. <laughs> just chuffed. Just about falling off my seat with excitement that I wasn't even part of the game, game this morning. I was going to chuck in Shane Howarth. Yep. Howie, of course, yep. uh, was in the mix as well. So um, uh, quite a few, you think, uh, would have been in that bracket. So only getting him to name two, I thought, was a cheap shot. But hey, Brad, well done. Uh, enjoy it, mate. Enjoy the 50 bucks from the TAB. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. No joke. We like sports and we don't care who knows. From Wimbledon to the Astrodome. We like sports and we don't care who knows. Well, this is what they say about uh, Joe Bell on the comedy.co.new Zealand website. Beginning stand up at just 18 years old, the Auckland native delivers his jokes with a uniquely awkward demeanour. A 2019 Raw Comedy Quest semi finalist, Joe continues to unlock his potential with one nervy performance at a time. Uh, Joe, uh, good morning to you. Uh, thanks very much for joining us in this segment this week. Uh, to be honest, you'll have to have a hell of a sense of humour to work with those Muppets in the morning, don't you? Oh, my God, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, fortunately, Baz is gone, so we just had a, a dag to deal with for a bit. Uh, hopefully, Baz isn't listening because he'll kill me. But, um, yeah, yeah, no, it's... Uh, <laughs> I, uh, unfortunately, Louis kind of uh, has a good sense of humour. You obviously got a good sense of humour. Where did it come from, Joey? Uh, probably my mum. Uh, my dad doesn't really have any uh, sense of humour and, you know, bullying probably. That uh, that helps a lot. And, uh, yeah, it's a funny guy. So, so yeah, obviously, yeah, everyone loves their mum. Um, so uh, dad's a bit boring. Okay, so fair enough. I think there's a few people that, that can equate to that because mum generally does the cooking, to be honest, in most houses. Uh, but Dad usually, uh, or in the old days, Dad used to have the funds, the old pocket money. So, um, Joey, uh, tell us about your sporting interest, working on a sporting station. Have you got sporting teams as such? Uh, yeah, I love American football. I um, actually played American football for three years and uh, got murdered. My team is the 49ers. Uh, they're, looking pre- they're looking all right this year. Um, Jimmy G probably has to go. He's a, he's a Tom Brady wannabe. He's not as good as we thought he's going to be, so hopefully we'll get rid of him soon. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of got um, destroyed in American football, so it kind of hurts to watch now. Just remembering what I went through. Did you ever, before you actually started being their producer, have you? Did you ever even hear of Israel Dag or Brendan McCullum? Um. <laughs> uh, look, uh, here's the thing. Uh, for me, um, I, I think it's an incredibly gutsy thing to do to stand up on, on a stage and. Uh, be a stand-up comedian so you seem to me to be a relatively shy sort of a dude the dealings I've had is this the other side of Joey Bell that we don't know where, where do you get the confidence for that uh I actually started doing it because I like had really bad anxiety and I thought um it was kind of a, a good way to just face it and like do the scariest thing I uh, could think of imaginable and um kind of just get over it and uh I already always had a decent sense of humor but not many people got to hear it so I thought, like, why not just stand in front of a group of people that I've never met before, I don't know, and just, like, just talk. And um, I ended up being decent at it, and people kind of liked how nervous, and people thought I was putting on the stage fright, but I was actually terrified. Um, But it kind of all adds to the performance, I guess. So where do you get your material from? Uh, Just, like, talking about my life in general, like, just, like, dates and stuff, and, like, I I write songs and, um, you know, just, like, 
I used to talk about my virginity quite a bit, but um, I've had to put that to rest because um, fortunately that's not a thing anymore. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I don't know, just just talking about my life. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, okay, so that's in, in itself that's a, a quite an interesting story as well. So uh, how long ago did you? Um, can you can I ask you how long ago? What were the circumstances that you, know, you managed to achieve that, Joey? Uh, it, it was it was just a few months ago. It was June. I. Uh, I've 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 got my I've got a girlfriend now who I flat with, um, which is a bit wild. Um, but I'm 22, so it was a, it was a long road. I started comedy when I was 18, and I started to went out of virginity, and I was pretty sure it was gonna, uh, you know, I was gonna have to come up with new material six months later. But um, now it lasted me about four years. Uh, so only really now I've had to put pen to paper and uh, come up with new material. So we were you waiting on? I mean, you're a good-looking guy. I see you on the camera every morning. Where were you waiting on for marriage or anything of that nature? I, I don't understand. <laughs> no, not, not necessarily. I just I went to an all-boys school. Um, I, I didn't go to uni, so I didn't really meet any girls. Um, Tinder is pretty d- tough. You know, you, you go on a lot of dates, and then they kind of end there. Um, so yeah, I, I just was a bit unlucky to be honest. I think, and um, and comedy is full of dudes mostly. So yeah, I, I I thought comedy was gonna, you know, <laughs> get me laid, but um, no, that didn't really turn out. It's, it's mostly dudes who watch and who follow and like comedians. It's not really girls, to be honest. So Joey, can you just explain to us? I mean, you've got this current girlfriend, and I, I imagine she's listening and and hanging on every word that you're saying. So, what is your idea after having looked and searched for so long? Tell us about the qualities of of this girl, this ideal woman that you've got. <laughs> Well, she's uh like I, I'm quite shy and, and and nervy, so she's kind of the confident one. You know, she wears the pants, she leads me around, and uh, she's probably like more naturally funny than me, um, and a lot smarter. So yeah, but she's actually leaving for uh leaving going to Wellington probably in February next year. So I'll probably have to start all over again. But I'm just enjoying the time I have. Oh, I mean that's romantic, mate. I, I and uh, I suppose women around. Uh, the Auckland area might just be uh, a little happier that you pro- probably or pros- prospectively could be on the market again as early as uh, early New Year. Uh, tell us, uh, Joey, um, uh, the singing side of things. Uh, what got you into that? Um, honestly, I just I, I did a, a stand-up show where I had to fill 30 minutes of material, and I didn't have 30 minutes, and I thought, oh yeah, how can I um, how can I fill it? And I was at the music store one day rock shop with my mate and i saw a pink guitar and i just brought bought a pink polo and i thought um yeah why not you know and, and i've always wanted to sing and and be a singer but i've got a terrible voice so i thought it was like a perfect fit for comedy so could you sing have you got anything lined up for us you know for a little ditty or something that we, we could perhaps uh sample today is, is it possible in this, uh, this amazing <laughs> I mean, opportunity this, yeah, this I, amazing I opportunity the, this amazing opportunity that we're presenting uh, are you, are you with, with this audience. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm a virgin. I'm a virgin. I've been horny for so long. I've been searching for some coitus. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. Yeah. Uh, the punchline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the pipeline's not safe for radio. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, has just probably killed the, uh, a certain faction of our ratings. But that, no, that's good, Joey. They'll probably <laughs> lo- listen to breakfast now. So there was a method behind your madness. 
um, uh, work on this, work, work, work on the singing side of things, and we'll hear from you and see you tomorrow morning. And thanks so much for being on our show this week, Joey Bell. You're you're a legend. Thank you. Thanks, Wendy. <laughs> oh goodness me. Oh, it'll take me a while to come down from John. Thanks for that one. That was absolutely brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. And you can answer all the complaints that are about to pour in. Um, I, I just need to take stock now. So we will. Uh, we'll come back with a few more texts and then we'll join Staffy before midday. And uh, he's got uh, quite a balanced producer. I seem to have quite a warped one. And there's no doubt now that breakfast do too. <laughs>